It's been seven hours and thirteen days Since you took your love away Oh, 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 oh. I go out every night and sleep Hello, welcome to the family track by track. I'm your host Darren and today we're going to be talking about Nothing Compares to You, track six from the debut album of the family called The Family. Recorded on the 15th of July 1984 and then re-recorded a little bit on the 18th of July 1984 uh, at the Flying Cloud Drive and released on the 19th of August 1985. On the track we have The Family, uh, which of course is St. Paul, uh, Susanna, Eric Leeds and then we've got strings from Claire Fisher um, and then we also have, uh, you know, some some work from uh, Jilly Bean Johnson, Jerome Benton and Michael Weaver. And also, apparently, there was this guy called Prince. Uh, the track itself is 4 minutes 31 and joining me to talk about it is Antu. Hello, Antu. Oh, hey, Darren. Now, for the genre of song, I don't know. I mean, the family's version, it's kind of weird because it... I mean, obviously, <laughs> everyone's everyone's kind of more familiar with the cover versions of this particular yeah. song. But I, I think their version, it's kind of... Um, I don't know. I, what I really like is when it starts... And you get the kind of, it's been seven hours and 13 days. And then you get oh, everybody in the family just going, la, 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 like along to like a keyboard line. <laughs> I think, as if they don't know how to sing it. And Prince has been like, oh, I think they're saying, here's the keyboard ho, line. Ho, 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 ho. Well, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> ho, 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 ho. <laughs> but, you know, they're singing along to like a keyboard line as if Prince has gone, look, this yeah. is how it goes. Sing along to this. And get it correct. In this, in this, in this instance, I'm imagining Prince as a kind of a you know a taskmaster, yeah. kind of whipping them into shape. I'm I'm assuming it's kind of because like it's a really sparse arrangement of the song because it's just yeah. keyboarded voice for the most part. Yeah, and then there's a I mean there's also a little bit of uh, Claire Fisher strings in there as well, isn't there? Kind of like later on in the song. Uh, this is this is interesting because this is like the earliest contribution by Claire Fisher to any Prince song. And also, it's the first time that um, that Eric Leeds um, contributed anything to like a Prince song. So this is like the earliest mm. kind of collaboration between those people. Um, you know, obviously the song itself is credited to David Rivkin and the family. Uh, though you know, I think we kind of know who was doing all the work behind <laughs> this one. To me, I think obviously everyone knows this as kind of like a, a ballad. And it's kind of like you know about heartbreak. I don't. I don't think that the family's version really kind of puts that across. Um, and I. I mean, the thing is as well is um, you know I really like um, Saint Paul Peterson's voice. Um, mm-hmm. You know he contributed a song to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles soundtrack, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, you know, it was. I think it was Wait, the opening which track. Which song of was side, that? It was the opening. It was the opening track of Side B, if I remember correctly. I can't remember what the title of the song is, but I do. I do remember like kind of hearing his voice and thinking, oh, you know, he's got he's got like a really interesting voice. Yeah, no, I think he does like a really great job on this song. I was really shocked by how great the vocal work was. Yeah, I think like, him, I hadn't heard any family stuff actually. So I mean, I, I'd heard the screams of passion a few times because obviously that was like the only real single from. Um, you know this album and you know really nothing compares to you was just like an album track like there was nothing remarkable about this track for like five years until somebody else decided to cover it and then all of a sudden you know all the attention was on it and you know I think the original family um, you know album was like out of print by the time um, it was covered in 1990 and so it's, it's like it's kind of interesting that suddenly all this focus is on like this kind of minor album track on like a, 
a, a kind of album by you know a group that Prince put together, you know, so that his girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, you know, could start releasing singles. You know, like it's just it's kind of a weird thing. Like this is like this was done so that Susanna had a band basically, and you know Prince kind of surrounded her with you know Eric Leeds and St Paul and you know um, and kind of just put this together just so that she could have a band and then. You know, it does one album. Nobody really noticed it. You know, it didn't get like tons of reviews, um, you know. And, and then years later, all of a sudden, you know, the it's like the focus is suddenly on this kind of this minor um, album, um, you know, which I, th- I think is quite interesting. And also, you know, it gave Jerome and Jellybean Johnson like a job after the time had split up, um, you know. So it, <laughs> it's, it's like Prince was just helping a few people out. And then you end up with this song, you know, which kind of just gets all the attention. Um, and like I said, like the the way that the the um, the family, the way it's it's produced for them, it it doesn't quite have mm-hmm. the same impact as later cover versions, um, you know. Yeah. And, and I think I... it's interesting that they kind of they double up the vocals, whereas obviously when other people have covered it later on, they've kind of turned it into a duet, uh, and having mm-hmm. like the lines exchanged, um, you know. But obviously, there's one version that everybody knows more than anything else. Uh, I think like the family version kind of sounds like a Vangela song almost, with just, like that low <laughs> synth in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, yeah. I was gonna say there is there is a little bit of that, isn't there? Yeah, there. Is, I mean, I mean, mm. obviously, it's of the time, isn't it? You know, it's 1984. Yeah. Um, you know, that is the sound that people kind of. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, to me, it always feels like you know, like if you watch an episode of like uh, Book Rogers in the 25th century. And you see like future music, and it's always kind of like it's always like moogs <laughs> and synths, and you know people wearing like neon things on their head, and you know it always yep. feels like people had this very specific idea of like sp- you know space disco in the late seventies, and that was like what all future music was going to be. And then by the time you got to the mid eighties, that all seems like really passe, <laughs> and um, you know even by like the nineties, any like this al- a lot of the sound of this album, it, like it's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, it sounds really mid eighties. <laughs> like you know, if you wanted to pick like an album that was released in the middle of that decade, this album really sounds like that. Mm. But yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the family they didn't last very long in, as a group. Uh, you know, they basically <laughs> did one album and then they split up. And then, you know, they released like two singles and then that was the end of it. You know, like the, the by the time by the time they kind of um, had even kind of got together, <laughs> they they were already apart. You know, like they got together in 84. They were gone by 85. Um, although these these days they do kind of uh, they do kind of tour as F Deluxe, um, mm. which is kind of like it, the, the, with re- the original lineup. Yes, yeah, with the original lineup. So I mean, isn't that in in the wake of Prince's death they reunited, right? I think. No, I was following that. No, no, no. Okay. They they had got back together in two thousand and eleven, um, hmm. as F Deluxe. Obviously, they I don't think they could call themselves the family because of you know some stuff with Prince, um, but yeah, you know, like they they <laughs> they got back together, called themselves F Deluxe. Uh, it was actually kind of hmm. motivated by um, you know by Saint Paul. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he was the one who was like bringing them back together. So you got him, you got Susanna, you got Jelly Bean Johnson, and you got Eric Leeds. Uh, Jerome obviously is with the reformed uh, Time, which are not called the Time mm-hmm. either because of issues with Prince. Uh, they're called the original yeah. Seven. Uh, seven, yeah, cool. Even though there's only six of them. So, do you reckon, like at these F Deluxe gigs, there are like people in the audience screaming for this? 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle song. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, I certainly would be. Um, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, the thing is, you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle soundtrack was like the first um, kind of uh, cassette that I bought myself. So I listened. I listened to that. Um, I listened to that soundtrack like nonstop. Uh, I I remember like being a kid and just loving that that rap song. I can't, t- Turtle Power. That was yeah, T U R T L E Power. There are there are <laughs> yeah. little tiny there are little t- kind of dots between each of the letters. T U R T L E Power. There you go. I have to say it all in one go. <laughs> yep. Otherwise, I'm not going to get it out. But yeah. So I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's funny because the the soundtrack itself also had. Um, an MC Hammer song. Um, it had mm-hmm. um, uh, Spunkadelic did a song on there. Um, there's, and um, like the last few songs were just songs by John Dupre, um, featuring Kevin Clash as Splinter, um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> saying, kind of giving the story oh, of how the, the turtles came to be. Uh, but yeah, St. Paul's song was called Every Heart Needs a Home. I think we spent too much time like on this Prince podcast talking about the new. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I don't think you heard my introduction. This is the family track by track. Um, so we've spent just enough time. But yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, it is family related. Yeah, so... But and yeah, I mean, obviously, you know... Furthermore, like, if we want to go into it, doesn't, like, uh, Shredder in the film say, like, the Foot Clan, wear a family as well? So could have <laughs> could have that been, like, a Prince nod? It might have been. You know, it could have been. Once Sinead O'Connor covered the song, she kind of, you know, yeah. she, she she brought a kind of spotlight onto it. You know, her version was hugely successful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those cases where someone took a, a kind of minor Prince song. And this is something that, you know, like I said all along about, um, you know, like songs that Prince has done. If you're going to cover a Prince song, you know, take a song that people don't know and, you know, kind of give it, a, you know, give it a different twist and kind of mm-hmm. make it interesting and, you know, she really kind of uh, took the idea of the emotion behind the song and kind of brought it out. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. obviously everyone knows the video, uh, you know, where she cries. Uh, obviously, she's spoken about that quite a bit. But, you know, she she said the reason she was crying is because, you know, her mother had died a few years before. Mm-hmm. And as she was singing the song, you know, she, you know, she remembered, you know, her mother. And, mm-hmm. and that is kind of what made her cry. Um, I, I like how you say everyone knows the video. Like <laughs> they do. Like everyone does know that I video. Anyone, I don't think millennials have seen like the Senator kind of video. Oh, I think they have. They but, definitely have. Because I mean, that vi- I mean, the thing is that video was played like nonstop, nonstop during yeah, 1990. It, like it, you could not go anywhere. It's pretty popular, but still. Yeah. Like, so and millennials would have been ten around that time. And everyone knows that 10-year-olds oh, yeah. love super emotional videos. And millennials love super emotional videos because that's what millennials are. They're, they're constantly super emotional. All right, that is true. I yeah. am a millennial, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you speak for your generation. I, um, I, I do remember it, but like, I can't imagine like someone who's 20 now like being like, oh, I remember that. And I guess it, it probably gets played a lot on like those one-hit wonder greatest like video compilations of all time or whatever uh i mean maybe i I mean i've got to say you know if you're saying people haven't seen the video i I don't think that's true because like pretty much every version of the video that's on youtube has got like 10 million views (laughs) so someone's watching it um and i I don't think that's just like kind of um you know sad gen x's who are just like pining for their (laughs) youth um it has to be more than just that 
Um, oh no, I think it is sad Gen X. As well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing is, is like as well. Me. In recent weeks, you know, I've heard it on the radio a few times. You know, so okay. it still gets radio play, uh, even on stations that are the O'Connor version. Yeah, oh yeah, even even on stations yeah. that are playing, you know, like top forty stuff nonstop. They'll still throw in, you know, uh, occasional old songs, and this is one of those songs that I've definitely heard, along with "Most Beautiful Girl in the World." <laughs> I've heard that a few times on the radio oh. in recent weeks. Um, but yeah, that'd be like that'd be like an incredible, you know, when they do a block of like two songs by the same artist, and then, like here's some pathos and sadness followed by the most beautiful girl in the world. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, oh. I I think obviously you know Sinead O'Connor, that song was, I mean, it was so big, and it's one of those things where. Um, you know, obviously Kiss with the, the Art of Noise and, and Tom Jones, that was a hit over here because of Tom Jones. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the Welsh Elvis Presley, I believe they call him. Um, and, you know, this song, it got to number one on the 28th of January 1990 and it stayed there for four weeks. This was back when singles stayed at number one for four weeks over here in this country. Now, obviously, everything is like number one for a week and then it's gone. Um, and, you know, it was also uh, number one on the Billboard Hot 100 from the 15th of April 1990 to the 12th of May. So that is still, you know, that's quite a distance, um, you know, knocked mm. off by Vogue by Madonna. And over here, it was knocked off by Dub Be Good To Me by Beats International. Uh, yet another pseudonym for Norman Cook. Um, but yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, at this particular point, it was just before I was becoming a Prince fan. Like, I wasn't really a Prince fan until the year after this. Um, and I got kind of sick of hearing this song. Like, I mean, the Sinead O'Connor version, I was, by the time we got to the end of 1990, I really did not want to hear that song ever again. Like, I was just Wait, so goddamn like, annoyed by that song. Did you know it was a Prince song, though? I, I, the, that's the thing. is like, literally, everyone was like, oh, did you know it was a Prince song? Like, that was the one fact that everybody knew about Nothing Compares to You. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, it won Video of the Year for the MTV Video Awards, and it also won Best Female Video and uh, Best Postmodern Video. I don't know what that what that means. Um, and also Breakthrough Video was nominated, and Viewers <laughs> Choice and International Viewers Choice. Um, you know, and obviously, I mean, the thing is, you say people don't know the video, but just Sinead O'Connor's face, like crying into the camera with her gigantic eyes and her shaved head. Uh, no, I think. People know the video, yeah. but I'm saying there's, like, a s- segment of, like, the world who, like, I can't imagine. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they had never heard of I'm sure there's a segment of the world that haven't heard of every song, but, um, you know, I feel I <laughs> feel right, like so. that video is is fairly kind of iconic. And, you know, it was directed, interestingly enough, it was directed by the director John Mabry, um, who has only made two films, um, which are called, which is The Jacket, starring Adrian Brody. And uh, The Edge of Love, starring Sienna Miller, Killian uh, Murphy, and Matthew Rhys, uh, and uh, Kira Knightley. So, that's, uh, like, just those two films and this video, that's like a really kind of weird career. Um, but, uh, yeah, and obviously, you know, it was from Sinead O'Connor's album, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, uh, which is a kind mm-hmm. of a very awkward kind of uh, uh, thing. And uh, in addition to winning a, a number of uh, MTV Movie Awards, Uh, The album itself was nominated for a number of Grammys, including Record of the Year, Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. I feel that's a very narrow, specific kind of definition there. Best Music Video and Best Short Form. Uh, And it won the the award for Best Alternative Music Performance. I don't know how it's kind of... I mean, that's like uh, alternative to what? I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, (laughs) the album itself was, you know, produced by Nelly Hooper. And obviously... You know, the the Sinead O'Connor version, it is just literally a kind of, 
just a a synthesizer underneath her voice like the whole thing just rests on her voice um you know mm-hmm. more than anything else um and as much as i got sick of that song in um in 1990 i really do like that you know that version you know obviously that was a gigantic hit so you know one of the best selling songs mm-hmm. of 1990 um i think prince mm-hmm. was not a fan of that performance <laughs> Um, you know, she's, she said that she, you know, in her time, Sinead O'Connor said she met Prince a couple of times and they basically just did not, um, they did not get on. Um, she went to Paisley Park after Nothing Compares to You was a hit. Um, and, you know, obviously she hadn't asked for permission to record the song, unlike a number of other people who recorded covers of Prince songs. Um, and, uh, so apparently, you know, he, he was not, uh, he was not very happy with the fact, particularly that she was swearing in interviews and stuff. That was apparently something that Prince mm-hmm. was not happy about. Um, and you know, they, they kind of, they, they apparently got, had, had some cross words about the thing, but, um, you know, I, I, I think it's funny that like, you know, Prince obviously has this reputation for being fairly controlling, but at the same time, you know, seeing, you know, nothing compares to you be a, a big hit. I would have thought he would have been happy with that, you know? Um, you know, I think he would have he would have kind of enjoyed the fact that it was like number one it, practically everywhere. Uh, for some reason, in France, it only got to number five. Um, so I don't know what the French don't like about uh, Sinead O'Connor, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, and you know, it, I, I mean, it, it it was the best-selling song in so many countries that year, um, and obviously, you know, this helped Prince because at the time, Graffiti Bridge was out. And that was not a hit. <laughs> and, and you know, Tevin Campbell had the biggest hit off Graffiti Bridge. Um, and and so it's it's just kind of funny that, you know, you know, this mm-hmm. success kind of put the spotlight back on Prince. And then, you know, the following year, Get Off, Diamonds and Pearls, everything else from that then became a big hit. And it kind of pushed Prince back into the, the spotlight a little bit, I feel. You know, it kind of helped him kind of get his commercial mojo back a bit, um, you know. It's funny because there was actually a cover done by a group called MXM, which was actually done before <laughs> Sinead O'Connor's version. Wait, wait. Okay. Yeah, and they they kind of covered it in it like between, um, you know, the the two you know versions that exist. Um, MXM them like themselves, I don't think I don't like they're very hard to find on the internet because obviously you have this new MXM that has kind of uh, overtaken them blowing up yeah. yeah um but yeah and then obviously you know i remember seeing sinead o'connor miming it on top of the pops four weeks in a row <laughs> just kind of standing there in front of a <laughs> microphone pretending to sing despite the fact that you could hear the full backing track playing behind her but you know that was top of the pops the absurdity of people miming stuff was just <laughs> something that we lived with with top of the pops that must have been intense for her um, yeah that'd be really weird because she might did she have to reproduce the tear no i don't think she did <laughs> i don't think top of the pops demanded that because that's how i would imagine yeah that going um but i mean and then obviously prince himself uh he decided to kind of take the song back and he did a live version with rosie Gaines, which like i said it kind of turned it into a you know it turns it into a duo uh, you know really like it's a duet um you know and mm-hmm. and they they kind of you know they share vocals um kind of going so that one verse is about one person and then the other verse is about the person that has left and so it kind of turns it into that um but, <laughs> but it kind of changes like the perspective where like they're both regretting leaving the other person <laughs> in a way yeah. like which kind of doesn't work you know what i mean like they can't like have awareness of that of the fact that the other person is also planning to. I mean, I do love I do yeah. love the way that Rosie Gaines sings 
since you've been gone, I can do whatever I want. Like she really kind of puts a voice into it. Um, I'm doing I'm doing that line no justice. Um, but she, you know, she she does that. I can I can see whoever I choose. And then when she sings, I can eat my dinner at a fancy restaurant. You're like, okay. You know, go for it, Rosie. Eat your dinner at a fancy restaurant. I'm not going to stop you. It is like, it, I think it's a really great version. It kind of like, I feel like in a way it sort of sounds like a demo version of the song, as in like it starts off like this bluesy number that you can like sing sing at a live concert and like <laughs> yeah, sing it, you know, like sing it, sisters. I do like though, of course, but the, for the Prince version, when you got the whole, you know, I could put my arms around any boy I see, but they only remind me of you. And then Rosie's singing, I went to the doctor and guess what he told me? And Prince is like, what'd he tell you? And I just, I love that kind of, it's almost like a weird kind of like 60s kind of like, um, you know, Ike and Tina type kind of like dynamic that they suddenly have where where he's kind of asking her questions. Um, and then when she's like, Rosie, you better try to have fun no matter what you do. But he's a fool. Like, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that she puts her own name into the song. Like, I love that detail. Although, here's the thing. I would have loved it if she she hadn't gender-swapped it and if she'd have just kept it to, I can put my arms around any girl I see. Because um, that would have been even more interesting, like, you know, as a song. Um, but, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, like, the song itself, I I feel like, you know, it, it was such a hit. We don't really need to tell people about the lyrics. But I do kind of love the, you know, all the flowers that you planted. And Prince changed it to Sugar. <laughs> from baby so it's like all the players that you planted sugar in the backyard and um you know it's like all died when you went away it's like seriously put some effort into your gardening don't expect somebody else to you know put some water on them flowers you gotta look after the flowers you can't just you know just because this person's left you can't just let all the vegetation around your house just die i mean you know put a put a little effort in wait so he changed his own lyric from mama to sugar from baby to sugar okay because yeah the Sinead O'Connor version apparently is Mama. A lot of pl- flowers that you planted Mama in the backyard. In the yeah, backyard. in on the on the original version, it's Baby in the backyard. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, and also I I think I think like the title of the song. Obviously, it's easy to overlook, um, but the fact that you know nothing compares to you. Like I feel like that's a pedestal you're not. You shouldn't really be putting people up that high. It's like literally <laughs> yeah. nothing can compare to this other person. So you're setting yourself up for disappointment yeah. in the future there, aren't you? Well, they say comparison is the thief of joy, you know, so, like, this is, like, a pretty bad situation. Like, that doctor is right, like... <laughs> like yeah. Like, Prince, Prince has real problems, basically. Yeah, you better try to have fun no matter what you do. Um, and obviously, I, I feel like, you know, the thing that gave it away that it was a Prince song was the fact that, that you know, the two is a two and the, and the U is a letter U. Mm-hmm. And it's like, even when you see that on a Sinead O'Connor single, you're like, oh, we're there. Um, <laughs> obviously, the only person who gets away with that, as Weird Al said, is Prince. Um, mm-hmm. You know, using, you know, letters and numbers in place of words. That's a Prince thing. and Nobody else should be doing that. Um but uh, yeah. So is Prince like a huge influence on late speak? Oh, know? he definitely is. He one hundred percent is. In the book Microsurfs, there's two pages where the protagonist of the book changes everything to Prince speak, and it's just literally two pages that you've already read, but just with like letters mm-hmm. and numbers. Um, and yeah, I mean, he definitely kind of influenced that stuff. Um, <laughs> he's the one who mainstreamed it, you know. I mean, when you've got "I would die for you" and the four and the U are. You know, a number and a U. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the I symbol never really took off, did it? As a, as as a use for the for the pronoun. So, um, you know, 
but otherwise, you know, a huge influence on everyone. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously after Prince's death, this was, you know, there were a few songs that people decided that they would perform um, in tribute to Prince. Uh, you know, a lot of people went in the direction of Purple Rain. You know, some people went in the direction of When Doves Cry. Um, you know, Chris Cornell, Dixie Chicks, uh, Coldplay with James Corden, um, uh-huh. <laughs> Kate Hudson. Uh, they all decided to go for this song. And then, did you watch any of these? Or? Yeah, yeah, no, I watched them all. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of Chris Cornell. I mean, I was almost almost as sad about his death as I was Prince's death. I wow. mean, you know, he's got such an amazing voice. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, I loved everything Chris Cornell's done from Soundgarden through Audio Slave right up to his solo stuff. Um, you know, his first solo album, it's got so many really good songs on. Um, you know, and so to to kind of see him like doing this tribute to Prince, you know. And then obviously, you know, himself, you know, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of devastating to kind of to hear his voice. And, you know, his version is just kind of like him and a guitar. And uh, and, you know, I, I mean, I love his voice anyway, but I think he really kind of sells the song. Um, mm. And it's, it's you know, of, of the various tributes that appeared, you know, it, it's probably my favorite. Um, you know the Dixie Chicks. It's it's what you expect from the Dixie Chicks. Kate Hudson. It's what you expect from the daughter of Kurt Russell and uh, Goldie Hawn. Uh, <laughs> you know Coldplay with uh, with James Corden. It's what you expect from James Corden, Tony Award winner. Yeah, he's he's got like a really good voice. I, yeah, I was pretty shocked. Yeah, you know you. Don't... I, I know he's like been in musicals and stuff like that, but I was like, I've never really sat down and heard him sing. You yeah, know what I'm saying, but yeah, he's. Like... <laughs> I mean, you don't you yeah. don't get to have a talk show on a major network without having some kind of talent. Um, but yeah, no, I think he's got a really good voice and, and, you know, even the Dixie Chicks, I mean, I, I, you know, I really like, uh, the way they sing together. I mean, I think they've, you know, obviously, you know, they've been together for years. They have, they have like kind of a, a natural chemistry. Um, uh, I mean, the one that I think drew the most criticism, uh, was Madonna. Uh, I can't remember which award show it was where she decided to pay tribute, but she basically dressed up like Prince, um, from, uh, actually it's from the, 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 um, when Doves Crow video when he's in the purple with the lace um, mm-hmm. and so she like dressed up like that but then sang Nothing Compares to You uh, which admittedly you yeah, like I would have preferred it if she wore like um, you know the, the prince you know blue with clouds like that suit because that would more suit mm-hmm. singing Nothing Compares to You because it's really more from you know after Purple Rain it's not a it's not a Purple Rain song but anyway yep. You know, she she decided to come out on a gigantic throne that turned around and she decided to sing Nothing Compares to You. And I think it was an okay version, but people on the internet like railed on her for doing this. Yeah. Um, which I, I do think it's like a, a poor choice in terms of like, well, Sinead Connor made it famous and yeah. like you could have done something like that he performed himself or, or at least something more famous that he, he was known for performing. Yeah. So I mean, I, I can sort of get the backlash at the same time. You know, she actually worked with Prince, um, you know, around the time of uh, of uh, of like a prayer. And so, you know, mm-hmm. if that's how she wanted to pay tribute to her friend, then, you know, that's that's fine. I mean, you know, they from what I understand, it's not like they ever fell out or anything over the years. You know, they kind of kept mm-hmm. in touch um, all the way up to his death. I mean, I'm guessing some of the stuff that Madonna did probably kind of went against Prince's more religious leanings. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I think if that's how she felt that she wanted to pay tribute, then she could, but yeah, it's a weird song choice. You know, if you're going to pick a Prince song, pick a Prince song. 
don't don't pick a song by the family that was covered by somebody else that kind of you know just pick a prince song like you know it, it was an odd song choice um but yeah i mean for the song i would say uh for the family version i would say three out of five uh because you know i think it's it's kind of just adequate um and then for you know the prince version i would say four out of five and that's only because i love the stuff that kind of he does with rosie and i, I love that interaction mm. you know it's out of, out of everyone that prince has had in his bands i always you know love the stuff that he did with rosie so it's fun to hear like a live version of that and it's fun to kind of hear you know a, a paisley park crowd kind of like cheering at prince because uh, obviously you know that's the most enthusiastic crowd that prince is ever going to have um you know and then for the sinead o'connor version I would have to say five out of five. You know, it is a beautiful version of the song. And as sick as I got of it in 1990, if I hear it now, I, you know, it does make me kind of a bit nostalgic. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I do I do think that she she did a really good job um, with, with kind of taking this song that, you know, like we said, it was like a minor family track. You know, it was like, an, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's, it's basically like a Prince Associate act. And it's like an album track from their one album that they did that at the time was probably out of print. And yet she kind of yeah. really, you know, made it famous. Uh, and you know the success of it was justified you know it's a really good it's a really good version you know the production's great mm-hmm. um and you know she really even even if you don't even if you aren't watching the video of her crying you still feel the emotion of the song um you know. yeah it, it's like a a transcendently great cover it's what yeah. you kind of want with a cover and all that stuff and of course she's she's aided by the fact that prince didn't cover it before she covered it like i think that's the downfall of some kind of prince covers is if you're comparing yourself to prince then you're gonna fail <laughs> you know <clears throat> she she only so had like, to the, the, she only had to be better than the family and i think she succeeded there quite easily so like the subtextual thesis of nothing compares to you is to like beat <laughs> like beat the originate the originator of the song to like like performing it so you He's com- like he's in a way oddly like Prince is compared. Prince's version is compared to the Sinead O'Connor's version. You yeah, know what I mean. Yeah. Well, that's so, it. Yeah, that's yeah. how that's how she won. You know, she she made she yeah. got to she got to cover it before Prince got to cover it. Um, you know, and he didn't even go to the trouble of doing a proper version. He just like did a live version. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and kind of just 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 went with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, a side fact that I you know is kind of odd. Um, <laughs> like obviously the 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 you know the the audience that was there you know was two hundred people recorded on twenty seventh of January nineteen ninety two at Paisley Park, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously that was put onto the hits one, um, and you know obviously uh, years later after Prince's death, um, seven seven hours and thirteen days after he died, um, a number of radio stations at five minutes uh, sorry at um, seven minutes past five. Um, on four on the May the fourth, two thousand sixteen, they broadcast. Uh, you know, nothing compares to you, the the Prince version. Um, you know, to, you know, because obviously seven seven hours and thirteen days had passed. Um, but that was the time when Donald Trump was declared the 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 candidate for Republican Party, and apparently Donald Trump was in the audience when that version was recorded at Paisley Park. Yeah, he was at Paisley Park on the twenty seventh of January, nineteen ninety two. That is. In the audience, that is bonkers. Yeah, as hell. and then you that's know. like conspiracy theory level. Like, <laughs> I crazy. guess it is a little bit. Yeah, um, it is like, hey, if you, imagine if like Prince came out and said the future president is in this room. All right, <laughs> let's play Dr. Capesti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so obviously this was included on the hits one, 
Um, you know, the more explicit material <laughs> from from this time, you know, was put onto the hits too. Um, you know, and and obviously, you know, along with Pink Cashmere, those were the two kind of songs that were put onto the hits one. I find yeah, it, I, I find there's a certain level of irony that Prince decided to put his version of Nothing Compares to You on the hits one, almost declaring like, oh yeah, this is a hit. But you know, we know, oh, yeah, we know, it is, yeah, in a way. <laughs> yeah, yes. but. That version, much so. that version wasn't a hit, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I kind of like it, you know. I can imagine like someone who had like no his sense of history about the song, like picking up the first hits and going, oh, the original version, that's <laughs> you know, like, and just buying yeah, it. Yeah, I guess. Motivated. I mean, if they never read the liner notes, yeah, they, I guess they could, they could, they could read that. But uh, yeah, and, and, you know, um, Nothing Compares to You was made available as a promotional single so that it could be played on radio stations. Um, you know, obviously it didn't, you know, it didn't get into any charts or anything. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think it, it's like, it's interesting because it is one of those songs where, you know, there, there are other Prince songs where, People have covered them and they've had success. And then Prince kind of, you know, like his version, people are like, eh, you know, maybe not as good as a cover or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, in this in this case, Sinead got lucky and she picked a song that Prince had never kind of mm-hmm. um, played. And then obviously, you know, um, once <laughs> once it was a hit for Sinead, then Prince did start putting it into his set list. You know, all of a sudden on the nude tour, he's singing Nothing Compares to You. Um, and then, you know, for I mean, he then kind of played it for until kind of the end of the Diamonds and Pearls tour, and then he he kind of brought it back um, in the year two thousand. Obviously, it's also there's a version of it on Raven to the year two thousand, um, and then he performed it. You know, pretty much most years, you know, most tours that he did for the rest of uh, rest of you know the millennium, he kind of performed it. Um, so obviously, it must have been a song that he he enjoyed. And you know, if he if he had someone else to kind of do the co lead vocals with him. Uh, then I can see it being, you know, kind of a successful song. Um, also, you know, I mean, once somebody else has made a hit of one of your songs, you'd be a fool not to stick it into your set list. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I like, imagine it would the be... the audience what they want. Yeah, you know, so I I don't know. It's, it's I, th- I think it's kind of funny that Prince is just like, you know, he had a bit of a, a beef with uh, Sinead O'Connor doing it, but he still was like, eh, I guess I'll put it in my set list now if people know this song. Um, you know, and I, uh, I would, and the thing is as well, I would have loved it if if people had kind of done a similar thing with other songs that Prince had done with, you know, some of his associates. So you mean like taking like the overlooked back catalogue and yeah, you know, pick pick a song, <laughs> pick a song by Jill Jones all the time or Sheila E or you know, um, I'm trying to think who else there is or or you know Tamar. So wait, is um, is Sex Shooter one of his? He wrote. That yes, one. Sex Shooter. He wrote Sex Shooter. I mean, actually, I say that <laughs> yeah. someone someone did cover Nasty, take Nasty Girl, didn't they? And they kind of turned it into like a, a club hit, you know. So people have done it with other songs, but yeah, I mean, I I, I just I mean, you know, the song is is such a beautiful song that obviously, um, you know, it doesn't really matter who's singing it. Um, you know, I th- I think the kind of sentiment of it kind of really works. Uh, and it's and it's noticeable that on the album for the family, like this is one of the few songs that was kind of um, known for being a Prince song. The rest of the songs on the on the album were kind of credited to different writers, but this is one where it was kind of made clear that Prince wrote the song. Um, you know, even if the production was was kind of given to David Z and and various other people. Wait, uh, I I need to give him like a rank out of five and what song the family version I I like a lot actually. So I'll give that four out of five. Okay. Uh, Prince's version three out of five because Donald Trump is in the audience, <laughs> so that affects like my feelings about that version. And yes, yeah, Sinead O'Connor's version five out of five. 
Okay. Great vocal work, great layering, all that stuff. Okay, well, then let's go to plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug into? Not at the moment. I'm slowly putting together my plans for recording my first podcast. So it, just wait for an audience. Uh, just follow me on Twitter at R2Comedy, A-N-H-T-U. And the word comedy. And you can find us on Facebook at Prince Track by Track or on Twitter at Prince Podcast or you can email us, not sure why you would, at Prince Track by Track at gmail.com. Thanks once more for being my guest on too. Alright, no problem, Darren. And otherwise, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.